has designed it to do. So I also think it's beautiful to end looking a little bit more at the design of suffering and death because all semester long we've been looking at Jesus's life, right? We have been looking at what it means to live. He showed us a lot. And I think actually sometimes we get that actually backwards in church where we just focus on Jesus died for you. He died for you. He died for you. Well, he also lived for us to show us what it looks like to embrace humanity, what we ought to be living like, and what God's heart for people are. And we've looked at that all semester long. So um, we've gotten to see how he shows us he wants us to live um, and engage this world. But we also get to look now at what it looks like to die and what that kind of death and resurrection plan is. So open up to Luke 24. So like I said, I hope that you guys have read up to this point, Jesus is crucified. There's a lot of good stuff in chapter 23 that I like. It was painful for me to just skip over, but I just really wanted to sit in a small space this morning. So Jesus has been crucified. He has been buried, and um, we're going to come into like the middle of the resurrection account. So chapter 24 starts, and um, the women have gone to like to lay spices on his body, and they see the tomb rolled away, and they're astonished. And the angels say, "Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's been raised." And so they run off and they tell the disciples. Um, says it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told them these things, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Um, so, but Peter, it says, rose and ran to the tomb, um, and he was marveling at what happened. So we're going to pick up now on the road to Emmaus, and these are two more disciples that are walking along, and they're talking, it says in verse 14, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And I just want us to take a second to think about how they feel. And really put yourself in the place of if you had been a disciple of Jesus, walking with him, seeing these miracles, you were part of, if you were, um, if you were at Women's Retreat with us, we talked about how the Jews, they believed that he was the Messiah, the one who they'd been hearing about their entire lives and in all of their traditions about how there was going to be someone coming to rescue the people of the Jews and deliver them from their bondage. And they, like, so imagine being a disciple, watching Jesus, thinking, is this the time? Do we really get to live in the time that we've been hearing about? Like, this is going to happen in my lifetime. Think about how exciting that would have been and how much if you were a disciple that had drawn close to Jesus and followed him for a long time, how much you would have loved him and felt affection for him. Just a week ago, they had come in just singing Hosanna, Hosanna, like Allison talked about. Like, try to put yourself, and I mean, we feel that way now. I think for those of you who have journeyed with, in a relationship with God for a while, like there is an, there's an affection and there is a hopefulness that he is real and that he loves you and that he sees you and all these things. And then they watched him be taken and they watched him be crucified brutally. And they watched him be taken down off the cross and buried. And now they're just like, 
in their houses. Like, what, what do we do now? They're afraid to be associated with him, but they're also kind of like, have you ever had that where you're like, this is so exciting, this is so exciting, and then like it's done or it's over, whether it like is done and finished or something really dramatically halted it, but that like let down feeling afterwards of like, what do we do now? Do we just go back to our lives? I feel like I really reading this and imagining them walking down the road and just talking about everything that they saw and that had just happened. I just felt like drawn to these men and that emotion of what they must have been feeling. So then Jesus comes. It says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went to them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you guys are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And I like this. I'm just going to paraphrase. One of them are like, where have you been on Mars? Like, are you the only one that doesn't know what's been going on? So they tell him what happened and they are kind of confused. I think it's funny. It's very interesting that they don't recognize Jesus. That tells us something about his resurrected body. Um, And then there's this verse where they tell him everything that happened. And how the chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned and crucified. And verse 21, open it and find it with me. They say, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We'd hoped this. And now we see it's not. Um, I think that I was just so struck with this because... There's no way for them to know what God's plan was. There's no way for them to know that death actually was the exact plan. And that just because they saw something horrific that happened that didn't fit any framework or context of what they expected, it doesn't mean they were wrong. He is the one to redeem Israel. We know that later. So we can miss the drama of this. But they are saying, well, because of what we saw, we now realize we were wrong. And they weren't wrong. (laughs) Um, I just was really struck by that. And I think that um, it tells us a lot about what they don't understand yet and what we can take and realize is this way of death and life, death into life and resurrection that God does. We see it. We see, like, as things die, new life pushes through, and this is the way that God designed things to work. We see it in creation. He left, like, a blueprint for us. When we talked about it with the seed at the very first of our semester, we talked about how a seed goes into the ground, and it dies, and its shell falls off, and then new life roots up out of it. We see it every winter into spring. It is like a yearly reminder. God is saying, this is how I designed things to happen. They die so that new life comes forth. So every winter, it feels like, is the rain ever going to end? It's gray, and it's cold, and it's brown, and all my plants have died. And then it's like, suddenly, in the couple weeks, of we get some days of sunlight, and little green buds start popping up, and the blue sky opens up, and you start to see the color, and the flowers all around, and you're like, oh, new life! New life comes. It just keeps coming. It's a death and life resurrecting cycle. We just heard Allison talking last week about how olive oil is made by pressing olives, crushing them, 
three times and out comes this healing ointment. This is a beautiful picture that I feel like we have been given in creation to, to learn and like root into a very spiritual truth that God is trying to tell us. This is the way it goes. This is the way it works. Out of pain, out of laying down, out of death comes life and healing because I am a resurrecting God. It wouldn't work if I weren't a resurrecting God, but because I can bring new life out of things, this is a cycle that I designed. Um, the disciples don't know any of this, and so they are really slow to understand this. And Jesus says that to them, Oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He says, Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Um, I think that we can be just as slow in looking at the circumstances and the things that occur in our own lives and seeing this same process and realizing this. So the first thing that I just want us to stop and consider, you can even write it down in your journals. I'd love for you guys to talk about it in your small groups. Um, but something that I want you to walk away with and take into your summer and your time that we're like away from each other on a regular basis is that when things look like they're dying, when things look like they're broken, we lose hope in God's redemptive and overall plan for our lives. We just do. When things, and I kind of thought of three different ways that this happens, because it doesn't have to be as dramatic as the crucifixion story to make us lose hope. I want us to engage like our own thought process and our own hearts and how we actually approach our lives and the circumstances of our lives and what that does just daily, hourly to our faith and our like trusting relationship with God. So think about when things are delayed, when something just takes too long. You don't see fruit or you don't see growth. You don't see help come to you, a change in a child or in a relationship or like you're, you're praying and you're praying and you're waiting for a new job or, you know, you're trying to find your, your house or just when delay comes and things take too long, I think the script in our head is, well, I had hoped that God was powerful and I had hoped that he was actually going to do something like actually going to do a miracle. I've been praying for my friend for years and years. I'd hoped at one point that he was the kind of God that really could do a miracle, but he must not be. Doesn't that sound just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus? We had hoped he'd been the one to redeem Israel, but I guess he's not. Uh, I also thought about when we experience disappointment. When we're rejected, we don't get a job, or we don't get... Um, Things just don't turn out like we were expecting and we actually do see. It's not like we're waiting anymore. We see the result. The end was not what we expected. Um, we don't get pregnant. We don't have the, you know, dreams fulfilled that we thought were going to be of our life. And we think to ourselves, the script in our head is, well, I'd hoped that God loved me. I'd hoped that he wanted good things for me. 
I'd hoped that he was going to have this fulfilling story for my life. But I guess not. He must not. Because it didn't. Look, I see. I see what turned out. I see the results. And I'm disappointed. I don't feel it. He must not be. And then last, actual death. When we experience actual pain and suffering, sickness, cancer, divorce, broken marriages, hurt feelings, I think, come into this category, though they feel small. I think they feel like death when a friendship is just hurtful. Um, we think to ourselves, our script is, well, I'd hoped that God was safe. I'd hoped that he was able to protect me from this cancer, that he was going to heal me. I hoped that he wasn't going to take my parent at a young age or even at an old age. It's never not painful. I'd hoped that he was going to be good to me in my life and keep me safe from this suffering. But I guess he's not. But I guess he must not be. And I just, like, I feel that to the core. How many times in my days, daily, I think, oh, well, I'd hoped you'd be one way, but I guess you're not. And it's all based on my misunderstanding of God's design and what he does through things that we don't understand and scripts that we wouldn't have written for ourselves. And his answer is much like Jesus's to these people, oh, foolish and slow of heart to believe. Isn't it necessary? I see the big thing. It's necessary that you suffer these things. And even that makes us go, well, you're not the God that I thought then. If you can't do it without the suffering, then maybe you're not as powerful. Um, so when things look like they're dying or broken, we lose hope in God's redemptive and overall plan for our lives. But what we forget to see and believe is that suffering and death is often the very pathway to life, capital L, life, as God designed it. So, um, yeah, Luke 24, 26 says, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Um, a little bit earlier in 24, verse 5, uh, no, a little bit down further, when the angels are talking to the women, they say the same thing. They say, um, remember how he told you? while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified on the third day? There's this language from the people who know, from the people who see, don't you know this had to happen? Don't you know this is exactly God's design and it does not mean that he's taken his eyes from you. It does not mean that he's messed up or slipped and stopped watching or lost control. I think there is a truth of the miraculous work that happened when Jesus died on the cross that bridged somehow spiritually and cosmically, which we are just not going to fathom and understand why that death on the cross satisfied the chasm between us and God, but it did. So there's that actual eternal stamping once and for all work that was accomplished on the cross that we choose to believe in and that takes faith and we just, we don't have to, understand how one plus one equals 10 million, but it does. But then there's also 
the picture and the truth that God is trying to show us through it. And I think that's also why it was necessary that it happened that way. So that we could see the Son of Man go head first into suffering and death with a full faith that out of it comes life. And it gives us a model for how we can view delay and disappointment and death and suffering. First Corinthians, I think you can turn it on, Louise. I don't know. I might just read these to you. First Corinthians, oh, that's not even, yeah. First Corinthians 15, 17 says, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So that's talking about the cosmic shift. We needed this to happen. This accomplished something so that we might now be made right with God. But then now look at 1 Corinthians 15, 26. Is it on there, Elise? I don't know which one's Brett typed. 36? Yeah. Okay. What you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not, oh, I typed it wrong. Should I read it off there? Is not the body that is to be, but the bare kernel. Skip down to verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown in natural body. It's raised in spiritual body. This is amazing. This is a phenomenal spiritual truth for us. Think about what it means to sow something. When you sow a seed, you bury it in the ground. If that isn't a picture of death, I don't know what is. When we, but, but the hope that is in this verse is so beautiful because look at all the things that he's calling us to bury. A bare kernel. It's not the life that's supposed to be. It's not the life that's coming. It's just the bare kernel of the seed that needs to be buried. It's not the imperishable stuff. It's the perishable that was going to go away anything. Anyway, that's what's being buried. It's the dishonor. It's the weakness that we lay down and that we bury under the ground. And what gets raised up instead as we bury it in faith is a body that is to be, is an imperishable raised in glory, powerful, spiritual life in us. Um, I'm going to read you a couple more verses because I just want you to see this theme so clearly. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up by victory. O death, where is your sting? Or, O oh death, where is your victory? O oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The picture of Jesus dying on the cross and being raised, and the picture that we're getting in 1 Corinthians is death doesn't have a sting because God resurrects. He uses death. It's his tool. So as we bury these imperishable, weak parts of our flesh, as we like willingly lean into them and surrender them, he raises up something powerful and the sting is gone. Second Corinthians four verse seven. This is getting a little bit more into our picture of how we, how we can live with this mindset daily engaging it. 
but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, the one who has the resurrecting power, and not us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. We are constantly being given over to death so that the life of Jesus, that we share with him the very life, resurrecting power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. And when we give ourselves over to death, it is raised in us in the same way so that it may more and more be manifested in our mortal flesh. Okay, I have one more that I really like. 2 Corinthians 5.2. For while we are still in this tent, remember it's talking about imperishable, while we're still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, skip ahead just a little bit, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. I just want to sit in that term right there, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. This is not a picture of running away from death, of avoiding, of God coming in and rescuing at the last minute so that we don't have to experience the pain and suffering. It's a, it's a picture of leaning in, of laying down, and of life, like resurrected power, miraculous life that comes from the power of God that we cannot manifest ourselves, coming and just enveloping our laying down our surrender. And in it, life resurrects in us and is birthed. We were talking at women's retreat about birth coming forth through surrender, through someone else's pain and someone else's effort and push. Life is birthed in us. Um, this idea, this, this term dying to myself or giving ourselves over to death. I know that that's kind of abstract, but that's the other place that I just want us to take a second and go there and, and like let your mind really try to grab onto some tangible examples and ways that you die to yourself, that we are called to be given over to death so that life can be birthed in us. Because again, it's not as dramatic as it has to like sound or can be sometimes very dramatic, but it doesn't have to be. It can be in our day-to-day -day life, this idea of surrender and being given over to death and dying to ourselves. I feel like we, as the people of God, because of this beautiful, powerful, miraculous story, we can have such an otherworldly perspective of what giving of what being given over to death looks like and how we lay ourselves down. We should be this like people, we can be, we are free to be, I'll say, rather than we should be. We are free to be these people that do not fear death, that do not fear any even small, tiny version of death in our own lives because we know what God does with death. He always turns it over into life. So we, of all the people in the world, 
the ones who believe that God resurrected Jesus from the death from the dead can be the ones to be like, oh, I don't have to fear laying that down. Oh, that didn't work out for me. That's okay. I rejoice. I do not have to fear this. There is no fear. There is no sting in the dying of anything to me because I know what God does with death. So I give it willingly. I lay it down. Um, we talk about like surrendering our time, surrendering our talents and treasures. Have you heard that before? Your time, your talents, your treasures, surrendering those things. Though, yes, yes to all of those. Those are very real. So think about those first. Those can be some of the things that God's speaking to you about. Your time this summer, your talents and your things that maybe you think like, well, I just kind of want to keep this to myself or your treasures. Like Ryan talked about on Sunday that came into play. So there's yes, those. But also, like, I think as we journey more, sometimes we, like, make these really big ones. And so it's like once every five years, we have a really great testimony of a thing that God called us to die to ourselves about or surrender and lay down. But, like, in the daily this summer, think about your own stubborn will. <laughs> think about your own hopes for the way that the day would go and what you wanted to accomplish in the day. Hopes for the things that you feel like you need to feel loved, to feel cared about, to feel appreciated. I was trying to think myself. I know that when I can surrender and lay down, die to myself, all of these are the same word. So I just don't know which one is clicking with you, so I'm gonna keep stringing them all along. But when I can surrender my need to be understood, that's like a big need for me. I feel like a wound of mine is feeling misunderstood. So when I can lay down the deep need that I feel to be understood or not be misunderstood by people, I have all of a sudden birthed in me the freedom to forgive the freedom to be a better friend, the freedom to have grace with people when I don't need them to understand me, when it's okay if they misunderstood me and I don't have to be right and prove to them that they got it wrong, then I'm so much freer and a life of forgiveness and a life of compassion and grace and empathy just gets birthed in me. That's like a daily for me. Um, another one is when I can lay down or surrender my need to feel appreciated by my children. <laughs> it's usually not anybody else but my children and my husband that I really, really struggle with this one, but all day long, I battle feeling not appreciated. I go around my house like a wild banshee, like, this is so disrespectful. You just walked and trailed goldfish through your fingers like, oh, the magic fairy is going to come clean them up. I don't know. I get super snarky and sarcastic and angry, and I just have this need to be appreciated, and I do not want to do something and let it just slip by. I feel like if I do that, I will be walked on all my life. <laughs> I have got to show them that they don't appreciate me. So I have this need to demand appreciation, and I, I couch it in all these terms of being a good mom and I can't raise spoiled brats, right? But really, I mean, yes, I have to teach them to appreciate 
But so, I mean, 99.9% .9 of that is my own need to be appreciated. And when I lay it down and it dies, there is a fear and a panic, like I just said, for a moment, just like I'm sure that Jesus felt a little bit of like desperation. Like, I'm afraid this is gonna hurt and I'm afraid it's not gonna go very well and that life won't come out of it. So there is that moment every time we surrender something, every time we lay something down, there's that moment of, oh my gosh, what if this doesn't work and no life comes from it? I'll just live in death my whole life, right? That's the faith joke. That's how we do it blind. That's the one part that I don't think is gonna get fixed this side of heaven. But when we lay it down, when I lay down my need to be appreciated and I fear for a moment that I'll never ever be, all of a sudden this freedom to love people well, to love them freely without strings attached is birthed in me. It's life, it's imperishable. The weak is my like frantic desperation to be appreciated. That's the weakness that I'm laying down, that I'm sowing into the ground. And what is raised is power and glory of God in me. Laying down or dying to my plans and my dreams, what I thought my life would look like and what I really want to come through and what I really want to work. When I lay that down and I surrender it and I don't need it, birthed in me is a free heart that can live with whatever comes. There is no sting of death anymore. It's big things moment by moment, or it's like the big, big things that you're maybe gonna have once every five years, and you'll end up getting to do a video testimony about. And it's the very small moment to moment things. I encourage you this summer to journal them, to see them, to ask God to give you eyes to see this process of daily what is it? What does it say? Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made manifest in our bodies. Always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal flesh. Write down 2 Corinthians 4-7 in your journals. Memorize it this summer. Ask God, what does it look like for me to be carrying around this concept of death given over to life. So, the last thing I want to leave us with is when we find ourselves this summer confronted with this type of suffering and delay, disappointment, death, I want us to stay and I want us to surrender. Surrender we already talked about, but this is the last part that I just want to leave you with and I hope that it brings you encouragement. Look at verse 29. So Jesus walks with them, he says that. So as he says, like, oh, you foolish, didn't you know this was necessary? And he begins to tell them, it says, all of the things, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. So he's talking to them, he's explaining things. They still don't know who he is. Um, and then, he, then they get to the village and he acts like he's going to go further and they say, stay. They urge him strongly, stay with us. And so he goes in and he stays with them and they go in, they go into the house and they sit down at the table and they break bread and they're eating together. This is a picture of communion. This is a picture of drawing near and living life and remaining. We use that word a lot 
in our in church too. This is a picture of remaining with Jesus. And when they do, verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Proximity to Jesus, relationship and drawing near and remaining, it has a correlation to our eyes being able to see, to being given a perspective that sees the eternal. So I know what it feels like to experience disappointment and delay and all of the things that I was just listing out. And what happens in me is probably what happens in most. There's like this protective thing that comes over our hearts and we're like, well, fine. I mean, but I'm just going to go in a hole for a little bit and cry and recoup and recover because that hurt. And I don't know how I feel about you right now, God. I don't know if I trust you. I know for me, there have been a couple seasons in my life where I have, like I told you, one is like a wound of feeling misunderstood and like somebody just doesn't really get me and God didn't protect me from that. Another is just my story, my life and what it will be and what he intends for it and me just constantly having to give over this fear that it won't be good, that it won't feel fulfilling, that it won't feel worth it in the end. And so I have this fear come up in me at different times based on different circumstances that arise in my life that just shatter my picture of what I think God is doing, much like the disciples. Um, and I know in that time, I tend to run. And there was a time just a couple years ago when I found myself pregnant with number five. It's like a broken record. You've heard me tell it too many times, but it was a very jarring picture for me, but it was life changing for me because in that moment, I felt myself get ready to run again and be like, I need a break. Like, I need some time off from you, God. I just, I'm going to go wallow over here for a couple months at least, lick my wounds and kind of get through this on my own. And I heard God, I don't say that very often. I heard him say, just stay here with me. You can be mad. You can be afraid. You can pound my chest. You can react however you want. And a lot of people didn't like how I reacted. But just stay and trust that I'm good, that I'm still here, that I love you. Just don't give up on that. And it was the first time in my kind of pattern of how I have treated my relationship with God where I laid down my desire to run and I just stayed close. And I let it look however it was gonna look on the outside, but I knew in my heart I wasn't going anywhere. I had more of the response that the disciples have that time when Jesus says, do you wanna leave too? And they go, where else would we go? You have the words of life. And I kinda had this, that open-handed response of like, I guess I'm still here. <laughs> I'll stay and I do believe that you're good. I just really don't get it. And that's okay. But I love this picture of him giving us some hope in this, in this picture of how he lets things play out with these disciples. Stay and eat with him. Stay in the body of believers. React however you want to. This is a safe place. Doubt, fear, yell, cry. But stay and remain. And he will open your eyes to see. So, this summer when you don't know how to look, 
at what you are perceiving as death in your life, even whether on a daily basis or bigger things. I just encourage you to stay and to lean in. That's what it looks like for life to be swallowed or for death to be swallowed up by life, to stay and let it happen. Um, so I'm going to put some questions up on the slides and you can talk about them in your um, small groups for time. I encourage you to just write them down in your journal and let them be. You want to change it to, oh, I didn't put the questions on there. I have to read them to you. Maybe you can come up and look. Okay, they're really simple. Summing up our study. Um, first of all, what have you observed about Jesus's life this semester? And how do you want to let that inform the way that you live? So that's your first question. Just consider it. Talk about it in your groups. Go home and don't let this study, this whole semester that we just spent in Luke, be one that a year from now you're like, oh yeah, I kind of remember that we read Luke. Right in the front of Luke then. Here's what I learned about the life of Jesus and how I'm determined to let it inform how I live. And then, yeah. What have you observed through reading of Luke about Jesus' life that you want to let inform the way that you live? And then the second is very simple, just like what we talked about. What have you observed about his death and the way he dies and God's design of resurrection that you can let inform the way that you look at death and suffering in your own life when it comes about? 